I hear Dave Therrien with you. Thank you for coming along today. New Hope Radio. We're in a brand new series entitled, Jesus Said What? <laughs> oh, I get to see some of the things he said to make you go, Jesus Said What? <laughs> Let's start off with a question today. Did you ever think that you've arrived in a good place? A place in life and you think, oh, this is pretty good. I like it. And then you met Jesus. And after you met Jesus, you realized, ooh, I wasn't that good at all. In other words, it got a whole lot better. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. Things get a whole lot better. They really do. Now, Maybe you climb the ladder of success. Yes, I've arrived. I've made it. And you get to the top and you find out it's leaning against the wrong wall. A lot of folks have, have gotten to the place in life where they wanted to be and they found out, ah, I thought it'd be better than this. I thought it'd be better. Well, like I said, we're in a series examining some of the things that Jesus said and they make us go, what? And you know why? Because he says things that are contrary to the ways of man. And you know why he says things that are contrary to the ways of man? Because his thoughts are contrary to the ways of man. He doesn't think like us. Oh, what does the Bible say? His, his ways are far beyond our ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. So therefore, the things that he says, oh, they're going to be very different also from the things that we say. So in our time together, Today, we're going to see that he turns the world's system of evaluating success upside down. What people in the world, what people in this life think is success, Jesus is going to say, no man, you got it all wrong. That really is the opposite of success. Here's the scene. Mama comes, she shows up, and she comes to Jesus, and she has a special request, a special favor. You know, some moms are like that, aren't they? They try to get their children some kind of recognition or promotion, but without them earning it. Remember the Hollywood actors who got, they paid big money to get their kids in college? Some got caught and went to jail. I wasn't too smart. So, here comes Mama. And uh, where are we going to be today? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. And we find Mama arrives on the scene in um, verse 20. The mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, the sons of Zebedee are James and John. So, Mama comes to Jesus with her sons. Can you see all three of them? There they are. The two boys and Mama coming to Jesus, bowing down, making a request of him. So they're going to ask Jesus for a favor. Verse 21. He said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. Now, let me tell you something. 
the disciples, oh yeah, they were going to be promoted, but these wanted the ultimate promotion. They wanted to sit right next to Jesus. Now, you know, hey, who wouldn't, right? We all want to sit next to Jesus. But in the previous chapter, Peter asked Jesus what they would receive for following him. You know, these guys are human, don't forget. They gave up their jobs, they left their homes, and they're like thinking, hey, we left everything. Jesus, what are we going to get? What's in it for us? And that's the previous chapter, Matthew 19, Jesus said to them, Oh, truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So they're going to get a great promotion. Oh, yeah. They're going to rule the new world with Jesus. That's pretty good. But here... These two disciples, they wanted their seats right next to Jesus, one on the right, one on the left. Now, I want you to notice the disciples' faith. This isn't because they had lack of faith. (laughs) This is because they had great faith. And Jesus said to them, you don't really know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, Jesus knew what he had in mind. You know what the cup was for the Lord, right? It was the cross. And all the abuse and the torture that went before it. Oh, it was awful. It was horrific. The false arrest, the beatings, the mockings, the whipping, the crown of thorns, and the cross itself. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? And you know what they said to him? We are able. We can drink it. I don't know if they knew what he was thinking about. I like what one writer said. His name is Adam Clark. And he said, He must be much in love with the cross who wishes to have his child a minister of the gospel. For if he be such as God approves, his life will be a life of toil, and suffering. What's Adam Clark saying? He's saying that when we serve God, we've entered the battlefield. That we are in the face of opposition. Remember this. Satan's the god of this world. And Satan hates God. Therefore, he hates the church. And therefore, anybody that's in league with God, he will come after them. This is what makes life for the believer so difficult. And perhaps that's a question that all of us will answer with our own lives. Am I able to drink the cup? Am I willing to drink the cup of toil? Am I willing to drink the cup of suffering? Because we live in an age of convenience, don't we? Oh yeah, comfort and convenience. Those are the, the passwords of the day. It's all I want. Comfort and convenience. And yet Jesus says, no, it's not about comfort. It's not about convenience. It's about, uh uh-oh, the cup. The cup. Is the Christian willing to drink the cup? That's the question for all of us. And Jesus said to the disciples, after they said, we are able, 
he said to them, Oh, my cup you shall drink. Oh, yeah, you will. But to sit on my right and on my left, that's not mine to give. It's for those for whom it has been prepared by for by my father. He's saying, no, my father's going to make that choice, not me. I'm not going to determine the seating arrangements in heaven. My father's going to do that. Okay? So, let's talk about the cup. For Jesus, it was the cross. For the Apostle James, it was martyrdom. As a matter of fact, all the disciples, except John, were martyred. In Acts 12, verse 2, James was put to death with a sword. John wasn't put to death. They tried. He wouldn't die. <laughs> he wouldn't die, no matter what they did to him. So they exiled him on the island of Patmos. So John's cross was the constant discipline and struggle of the Christian life. His cup was not to die, but his cup was to live and to live on the isle. But God gave him a beautiful vision. Oh, yeah. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, today, the cup may be not so much a Roman cross. Of course not. But it may be for the Christian, the long routine of the Christian life with all of the sacrifices that accompany it. You know, the Christian life is actually demonstrated by sacrifice, right? Didn't Paul say we're living sacrifices? That's constant, sacrificial living. It's not a one-time event. It's continuous. Christian life is filled with struggles. Oh, it's got heartbreaks. Everybody has a heartbreak. It's got disappointments. It's got tears. See, that's an honest rendition of the Christian life. We don't hear a lot about that in the big media, in the big Christian media. We don't really get the full counsel of truth. We hear a lot about the blessings. We hear a lot about the privileges. We hear a lot about the power. But how much do we hear about the sacrifice, the struggles, the heartbreaks, the disappointments, the tears? part of it. That's all part of it. And yes, for some today, it is the sharp sword of martyrdom. Oh, and there are many. Not so much here in America, but man, all over the world, Christians are paying with their lives to follow Jesus. They're drinking the cup and they're getting the crown in heaven. You know, a Roman coin was once found with a picture of an ox on it and the ox was facing two things. It was facing an altar, and it was facing a plow. And the inscription on the coin read, Ready for either. Think about that. Ready for either. I, hey, I'm ready for the plow. I'll go to work. Or I'm ready to die. I'll be the sacrifice. Either one. I think sometimes even the ancient Romans had a better understanding of life than some modern-day convenient Christians. I'm ready to work and I'm ready to die. God, your will be done. See, there's no one cup for the Christian. 
It may be drunk in one moment, or it could be drunk throughout your whole lifetime. So the other disciples, they didn't like this conversation that was going on with Mama and the two boys. They didn't like it. But in the next verse, Jesus gave them the lesson of a lifetime. And he's going to teach them what is, uh uh-oh, real success. Because you see, when it's a lesson of a lifetime, you know what that means? It doesn't go out of date. (laughs) No. Isn't that the great thing about the Word of God? Man, it's for every generation. Think about it. God's Word is for every generation. Oh, but not only that, every culture, every society, every nation. It fits everywhere. The Word of God can fit everywhere. Every place humans are found. Whatever language they speak, whatever traditions they may have, the Word of God fits, here it comes, all places at all times. It's timeless. It's timeless because it's God's Word. So the lesson of a lifetime means it's not going to go out of date. What was true 2,000 years ago, guess what? It's still true today. So here's what Jesus said in verse 25. He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them? And they're like, yep, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's true. That's right, that's true. You know, in the world, right, the Gentile world, where Gentiles are representative of those that don't know God back in the first century, okay? So, in the Gentile world, the greater the authority, the bigger the boss, right? If you've got great authority, you're a big boss. Little authority, little boss. The more authority, the more of a boss you are, and the more people serve you. But Jesus says, oh, wait a minute, verse 26. It's not this way among you. Oh, no, this is different. (laughs) See, the way you live is not the way of the world. As a matter of fact, you live in a different world, a different kingdom. Boy, how often do we think about that? How often do we think about the fact that we live in a different world? You know, we're in the world, but we're not of it. Isn't that true? We live here. We get our mail here. We drive our cars here. We even go to church here. But we're not of it. We don't derive our life, our strength, our identity from the world. Oh, no. It's another kingdom. We derive it. From God. And and Jesus wants the disciples to see, even though they're in this world and this society filled with people, they don't fit in. It doesn't work that way. They're square pegs in round holes. And you know, as modern day Christians, man, we need to remind ourselves about that. That we should not be comfortable in the world. You know what the Bible says about Lot when he was living in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? His soul was tormented. You know why? He was a righteous man. And the culture was wicked. And though he stayed there, probably because his wife wanted to stay there, she was very worldly, but his soul was tormented. He wasn't comfortable. He didn't fit in. 
And we should be like that. Yes, we do have a tormented soul at times. We look around at this world and we we see how lost and how wrong and how blind. Yes, our heart breaks for those that don't know Christ. Yes. Oh, we wish everybody could be saved. We ask ourselves, why can't they see Jesus for who he is? Why don't they? Why don't they know God and see his love for them? How he sent his son to die for the sins of the world. Why don't they see that? I don't know. And the more we look at the world, the more our soul becomes tormented. That's what happens when you walk in the light, when you walk with Christ. Jesus wants his disciples to see, man, don't get comfortable in the world because that's not your world. I want you to start thinking about what it's like to live in my kingdom. He says, here's kingdom life. Whoever wishes to become great among you, that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to become great. Matter of fact, God wants us to become great because he has a special way for us (laughs) to get there. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be, here it comes, your servant. Oh, God wants us to become great. But he wants us to do it by serving, because serving represents Christ. You see, whatever we attain, if we do it through imitating Christ, becoming Christ-like, then that's good. Then that's good. So Jesus said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. That means, you know what? It's open season. Anybody can do this. Whoever wishes to become great. Now, this wish, it doesn't mean to like, you know, fall asleep under an apple tree and dream. No. This wish means to determine, to resolve. I'm going to tell you something. Greatness is only achieved by determination. Greatness doesn't happen to people. Greatness is the fruit of being a determined individual. You know what needs to be done and you do it. You don't sit around and wait for greatness to find you. No. You roll up your sleeves, you make a decision, you commit, and you do it with all your heart. And you'll find greatness. That's what, that's what Jesus meant when he said, whoever wishes to be great, whoever resolves to be great, whoever determines to be great. See, again, he's not condemning the desire to be great. No. He wants you to be great. He's just pointing out how to get there, how to fulfill it. And when he said, whoever wishes to become great, the word become, it's the word ginomai, And it means to come into being. See, it's a process. It doesn't just like, boom, overnight. Hey, I woke up and I was great. (laughs) No. It's a process. And it's a process that requires consistency. And then he's going to tell us, well, what is it that I must be consistent in? 
Well, I've got to become a servant. I've got to be consistent in serving. That's what. In other words, putting other people first. Taking myself off the front burner, taking my place on the back burner, and putting others on the front burner. Now, I wonder where that even came from. I guess, I guess when something's on the back burner, it's already cooked, you just kind of keep it warm. When you put it on the front burner, that's what, you, that's what you're cooking. That's what I would come up with, but I could be wrong. So whoever wishes to become, whoever determines, whoever resolves to become megas, megas is great, great in stature. You know what that has to do with? Character. Character is something that God wants us to build and yet today, in the day and age in which we live, it seems like one of those things that people are the least concerned about, their character. Oh man, your character is the real you. Not who you are on the outside, not what people see outwardly, you know, your, your hairdo, your clothing, the car you drive. No, it's your character. Your character works its way out through the words that you say. And the deeds that you do. That's the manifestation of your inward character or your heart. So you want to be great in stature? Then be one who executes servanthood. Diakonos. You know, it's where we get the word deacon, you know, in the church, the deacons. The deacons are those that serve. They serve the body of Christ. They serve in many instances, the church leadership, and they help they help run the church and keep it moving. You know, they, they, they row the boat. They got the oars, and they're rowing the boat, doing the hard work. Yeah. Every church needs good deacons. We got good deacons here. I hope your church has good deacons. They're rowing the boat, keeping the church afloat. That's the word servanthood. But wait a minute now. It gets better. Jesus said in verse 27, Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Jesus said, what? I know, didn't I tell you that? Sometimes he says things, it's like, what's he talking about? I never heard this before. Whoever wishes to be first among you. The word first, it doesn't mean you beat everybody else to the finish line. No, it doesn't mean that. It means chief in honor or rank. You want to attain a lot of honor? Well, he said, whoever wishes to do that shall be your slave. What? Shall be your slave. Did someone ever say to you, I'm not your slave? <laughs> you know, I've heard people say that. I'm not your slave. You ask him to do something. I'm not your slave. Well, now, now you can say it. I'm your slave. <laughs> If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you can say, all right, I'll be your slave. Because I want to be great. I want to be great in the eyes of God. I want to be great in the kingdom of God. See, what I like about Jesus is that he never asked us to do something that he wouldn't do. He did it all. Verse 28, he said, just as, in other words, just like him. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to be a diakonos, a deacon, 
he came to serve. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. He keeps pounding that. And how did Jesus do it? Oh, he came to give his life. And by the way, you know when he gave his life, you know how he did it? Freely. Oh, yeah. Freely. He gave his life for many. Not one, not two, but for all. His life for our life. You know, that was the greatest act of servanthood. So when we see Jesus in action as a servant, that should just mobilize us and inspire us to want to be servants as well. Because Christ did it. And the whole journey of the Christian life is to become Christ-like. To become like Jesus. Yeah. So, what does this teach us? Number one, the price of greatness must be paid. Number two, those who share the Lord's triumph must drink his cup. Number three, in spite of the disciples' selfish request, Jesus led them in kindness to the truth. He didn't rebuke them. He said, what you're asking for, okay, but I'm going to tell you how to get there. And it's not by me giving it to you, but I'm going to show you how to get there. And number four, in God's kingdom, service alone is the badge of greatness. It's not the world, it's God's kingdom. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, we've got to become the servant of all. That's it. It's that simple. It really is. You know what it takes, I think? It takes desire. That's all. It takes desire. Here's the question. Do I desire? Do I have the heart? Do I have the desire to become like Christ by being the servant that he was when he was on the earth? Hey, thanks for coming along today. Have you joined the Hope Club yet? Come on, get on board. Get a daily devotional in your email box every day. Go to newhopecc.tv, click giving, then click e-giving. Choose Radio Fun, three bucks a week. You can do that. Fill out your info, and we'll send you an email every day. Thank you for coming along. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.